1: Hello, I'm Naked Scientist Hannah Critchlow and my memory is terrible. And so, I'm concerned, what's going to happen as I age? Alzheimer's disease currently affects around half a million of us in the UK alone and this number is predicted to increase as the population gets older. However, this week a study suggested that up to a third of cases could be preventable just by changing the way that we live i spoke to carol brain professor of public health at cambridge university in a collaboration spanning countries researchers analyzed data published from decades of research on tens of thousands of people and identified several risk factors that could increase the likelihood of developing the disease some of which simply came down to lifestyle choices i went to find out what those risky behaviors might be So one of our tasks as public
0: health people is to really scrutinise the evidence base or the papers and everything that comes out for its relevance to the populations that we aim to serve. So it does give us a kind of stepping back perspective on evidence. So whenever I see a paper, I will always think about exactly how was this finding generated is it after a lot of trawling around in the data to find the one positive thing, even though a million other things have been tested, and then putting that forward and constructing a story around it? Or was it a really careful analysis of the data uh, with a pre-specified question? And so this is called critical appraisal, and we do this all the time
1: and then you put put it each sort of bits of evidence together so for example there's been reports in the press of video games five ten minute video games or even playing sudoku can uh, ward off alzheimer's in later life and and help halt its progression and then certain foods can even help prevent alzheimer's so how much of this is hype and how much of it is actually scientifically robust findings and how on earth do you tease the two Mm -hmm. apart
0: (laughs) Uh, It might be a robust finding in terms of this particular publication or paper, but that doesn't mean that you can translate that into if you eat blueberries or broccoli or fish or whatever at a particular age, you will prevent dementia because the only thing that can prove that is effectively long-term trials. So it's a it's a jump. So what we're doing is looking at the evidence and then trying to work out how how that might translate into prevention. So the studies that I'm talking about and the ones that you're a lot of the ones that you're mentioning are based on measuring things in people at a particular time in their lives and then following them up over time to see what happens um, later. A great example of why we have to be incredibly careful about that is the hormone replacement therapy story. So from the longitudinal studies, asking people about whether they took HRT around the menopause, asking women, led to the suggestion that HRT was highly preventive for dementia. Well, actually, at that time... There are a lot of different things about the people who took HRT. It might be the reason, rather than the HRT itself. And indeed, the trials then went ahead using HRT in the postmenopausal period. And far from preventing dementia, it actually was associated with increased dementia in the groups who took the HRT. Now, there are many reasons why that might have happened. It's a cautionary tale not to overhype findings from studies which may not make that jump across to this causes that, therefore if you change this you will change that.
1: And the paper published in the journal Lancet Neurology in the last month by yourself and colleagues, can you tell us a little bit about the main robust findings from that?
0: Well, even with that paper, we are extremely cautious about uh, the interpretation of the findings. So the motivation for the paper was when our colleagues did the exercise of systematically reviewing the evidence on modifiable risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, they found that some ranked quite highly in terms of their risk profiles and were very consistently reported across different types of studies, across the world. So they thought that was a robust enough finding, to to put them into a modifiable risk factor list. So that's using the existing evidence and creating a, if you like, a sort of a sort of average risk associated with each individual risk factor, which uh, you know, physical activity, low education. Diabetes, midlife obesity, midlife hypertension, smoking and uh, depression. So those came out top for their averages and then they applied those to using other data on population exposures to those particular risk factors from around the world. So using that, you have what proportion of the population is exposed to each of those risk factors. And then using population statistics for the risk of dementia over time, you can work out what proportion of dementia might be accounted for by assuming a a causal link. These risk factors are highly related in populations. So smoking is associated with low education. Uh, low education is associated with physical activity and smoking is associated with physical activity and all of those are associated with obesity and hypertension and all of those are associated with diabetes and in fact vascular factors are related to depression so they're all highly intercorrelated and we we recognize this at the time and so what we did was work with those authors to try to create a slightly more realistic estimate.
1: It's not the case that if I just cut down on my sugary snacks, for example, well I'm less likely to get Alzheimer's in the future. If I bring together all of these healthy and lifestyle regimes of not smoking, cutting down on my sugary snacks, increasing my amount of exercise, making myself happier by doing things like exercise, for example, that can help, help boost well-being, and also increasing my level of education, and learning new things day to day and all of these things helping to deal with problems with obesity or hypertension in future life that may also help decrease my risk of Alzheimer's or dementia in the future.
0: That's right and and I think uh, even more important is that one would hope that it would improve quality of life in the here and now that we aren't doing these things just for something off in the future but that we live our lives as well as we can, that we have a society that that is attempting to enable us to live our lives happily and healthily.
1: Thank you, Carol Brain, Professor of Public Health at Cambridge University. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?